Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Good afternoon on your Tuesday. I'm Haley Tenpass. You are listening to Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm on Tuesday, August 13th. Joining us this afternoon from Hurling Clark Law Firm, Attorney Kelly Kelly. Hello to you, Kelly. Hello. How are you today? Good. I need to adjust the microphone. Yeah, here. you can pull that thing right, right on up. Right out of yeah, the socket. Yeah, get nice and comfy. <laughs> and also with you this afternoon, Attorney Paula Hamer. Hello. Hi. Welcome, Paula. Thank you. We are talking about family law this afternoon. So if you have a question in regards to family law, you can give us a call on the Settlers Bank phone lines. 281-1150 is that number. We would love to hear from you. And Kelly, let's just maybe do a brief um, overview of, of what you kind of cover in regards to family law. Sure. At our office, we have uh, a group of attorneys that do different areas of law. So Paula and I, along with our partner Bob Loomis, are the three attorneys that focus on family law. Our office has personal injury attorneys, business attorneys, etc. Within family law, um, I would say primarily, and by primarily I mean more than 50% of our practices would be for divorce. We also have people that have had children together and were not married, so that's paternity, or something we call post-paternity or post-divorce things that come up after those judgments are rendered. We do uh, occasionally adoptions. We do occasionally um, other visitation type things. Uh, we will do reviews of child support or maintenance. Um, but I would say most of the cases we have are probably divorce. Okay. It can be a, a, a tricky field to work in because you're dealing not only with, with, with parents but, but children, obviously, Absolutely. a lot of times. Right. Our, our duty is to provide the best representation for our clients. We would be remiss in our duty to them and, frankly, to the world if we ignored our obligations to make sure that children are taken care of. Wonderful. And Paula, how long have you been with Hurling Clark? Um, this year it'll be about 15 years that I've been with Hurling Clark doing family law also. Wow. Wow. And what drew you to this particular area of practice? Um, actually, when I started at Hurling Clark, I wasn't in the family law uh, section. It was more by default. I started doing some personal injury. I was doing some real estate, some estate planning, um, a lot of municipal law. Um, that being said, we did have an attorney that moved out of state to be with family. And they said, hey, Paula, can you take over some of these cases? So I took over her caseload and then ended up uh, enjoying it, liking the ability to go to court, the client interaction. Um, so I kind of inherited that caseload and it then grew from there. So that's what I've been doing. I'd say I've been at Hurling Clark 15 years. I'd say about 13 and a half of it at this point has been family law. Wow. Great. Well, we've learned a little bit about family law now and, and what you are both involved with. And we're going to 
bring up some topics of discussion for this afternoon. Kelly, we were chatting on the phone earlier this afternoon, and you brought up a great point that we are about to approach the start of a new school year, and family law even applies to the start of a new school year. Why is that? You know, it's interesting because as family law attorneys, uh, different times of the year mean different things for us that apply to our practice. So once August rolls around, we then anticipate we will get calls from current clients or potentially new clients that say, wow, school's starting in a month and we have a disagreement as to where our child or children are going to school or our children went to school in one district last year, but I want to change it, or we've never even talked about this and we need to get our kids in school. And so it's something that we in in family law practice know should be addressed months and months in advance. But when people are living their lives on a day-to-day basis, that's not something they think about until August rolls around. Um, Unfortunately, the wheels of justice turn very slow. And calling today and asking for an issue to be resolved on school for this coming school year is not going to be resolved quickly and definitely not going to be resolved before the start of the school year. And so sometimes you have children that either don't go to school or they go to school in one district and then they go to another in a few weeks. It's kind of an unfortunate circumstance and it's just kind of a byproduct of where things are at. Wow. Is each case very different in regards to sending children to different schools? Yeah, the presumption or the starting point generally is where did they go to school last year? That's where they should go to school this year. Um, It depends on what's going on in the case. It depends on if there's been a change in circumstances. But generally, that's the starting point. And and then you go from there. Yes, every case in general is different. Uh, It's sometimes we'll get calls where people will say this is pretty straightforward. It's just like my neighbor's divorce. And no two cases are alike. Certainly no two cases with children. I would definitely say that one of the things that has come up recently for me is you may have a difference in opinion of the ability of a certain school district or certain school within that district to deal with certain special needs issues, um, whether kids have the ability to access IEP programs um, or other special needs programs. There are some schools that are much better, I guess, resourced with regard to those activities and what's available for parents and kids as resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So that as kids get older and maybe some of these learning issues um, become more obvious, those kind of can build into, is this the best place for our child or children to be going? Are the resources there? Are, is that district that you're talking about moving to within the school district of either parent? Do you have to open enroll? Is, you know, does somebody feel they're winning or losing if that school district is changed? So it can somewhat become a battle also of the experts, depending upon, as Kelly indicated, the specifics of each case. You mentioned open enrollment. Can that complicate or, or help the cases? I think it can help if it's a creative solution on the needs of the child and what circumstances exist for the parties. It has also been a tool that people have used to move and then just unilaterally open enroll their children somewhere. And then you have an issue because that was one person making a decision that both people were entitled to make. I think uh, the biggest issue that I've had with open enrollment is 
if you are going to open enroll, even if the parents decide that that's a good idea, it's if that open enrollment, depending on the particular school or school district, is available each year. Because depending upon the availability of the slots opened, it may be a situation where you're guaranteed a spot this year, but you're not guaranteed a spot next year. Or in some districts, they'll say, okay, once you have one child in, you're guaranteed forever, and all siblings can come in too. Oh, interesting. Um, but that can change based upon people moving in and out of districts and their availability um, for those positions each year, which on the other side can complicate things a little bit with the unknown. Are you able to help families fight for certain specifics as well? For for example, maybe getting on the bus at mom's house, but getting off at dad's house, which could be in a different city or, or district? Well, we're bound by whatever the school district does or the bus policies. And so we have no authority and, and the court doesn't have authority to have a certain bus company make busing arrangements that they would not otherwise make. Um, but yes, I mean, there's plenty of cases where on mom's days, the children get on and off the bus at mom's house. And on dad's days, they do at dad's home. And, you know, uh, probably a little confusing for the bus drivers and maybe even the kids, but that's that happens very frequently. We're talking with attorneys from Herling Clark Law Firm this afternoon. Family law is the topic this afternoon. In regards to the start of a new school year, talking with attorney Kelly Kelly and attorney Paula Hamer from Herling Clark this afternoon. We have to take a break, but if you'd like to join the conversation in our next uh, segment of the show, 281-1150 is the number on the Settlers Bank phone lines. Taking a pause, back with more after this on WHBY. Listening to WHBY Real Local Radio. It is Law Talk with Harling Clark Law Firm Hour, and we are focused on family law this afternoon. Joined by attorneys Kelly Kelly and Paula Hamer with Harling Clark Law Firm. Once again, ladies, welcome back to the show. Oh, Thank well, you. thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we were talking a little bit about back to school time in that first segment. You, you get a lot of calls this time of year from parents, uh, particularly maybe divorced parents, wondering what to do with their children for the next school year. Yep, we do. Wow. So someone calls you today, says, Kelly, we've got an issue. Mom wants to send kids to District A. Dad wants to send kids to District B. How do you start that process of, of working through a resolution? Well, my first questions would be, and, and of course, because it would be a new client, um, we'd have to establish that we can't give legal advice uh, on the initial phone call because we don't represent them. Um, but I'd ask, what does your current order say? Uh, where did they go to school last year? What's transpired? Uh, because, like I said, generally the rule of thumb is is that the children would go to the same school they went to last year. And if there's some majorly compelling reason that that shouldn't happen. The parties really should be on the same page. If they're not, then they're going to have to request mediation, try to file a motion and get in with the court. Um, probably not going to get in before September 3rd. You can try. Um, otherwise, they're going to have to go through the process like any other motion that's filed with the court. Um, generally speaking, the, the family court system does not have what people will refer to as an emergency hearing. Uh, you, there's not like a special calendar for, holy moly, this happened, 
it's an emergency. I need a hearing now. You have to wait in line just like everybody else um, because one person's definition of emergency may be different than somebody else's. And so um, sometimes depending on the county, depending on the time of year, you could wait three or four weeks for a court hearing or you could wait two months or more for a court hearing. Mm-hmm. And what if uh, children hadn't been in a school district before? They're really little, maybe entering pre-K for the first year. Is that approached a little bit differently? Same process as far as if you don't have an agreement, the court would require you to try to work it out through mediation. And then if not, going from there. The benefit, I suppose, um, is that 4K is not legally required as of now to be for children. Um, And so if they miss a week or two or three or four, of 4K, hopefully it's not causing a problem developmentally for them. Um, But certainly if for some reason you moved from a different state and you moved here and you have a sixth grader, you probably don't want your sixth grader to miss a lot of school. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends. Again, every case is really fact specific. And like Kelly said, 4K isn't uh, mandatory right now. So I've had situations where that has come up. Both parents would like to be, you know, the primary school district parent. Um, they're in two school districts. I've had courts essentially say, if the schools will allow it on your days, you go to this school. On this day, you go to the other school. Um, that has happened, and school districts have allowed that for 4K. Um, there's also been a situation where you may have a mom or dad that says, I don't want this child in 4K. So a lot of times also the school would say, okay, it's usually part-time anyway. It's either certain days or it's AMs or PMs. And the school will say, okay, it's not mandatory. We're willing to, we have the open, you know, slots to be able to put you on in. So go ahead and just bring little Susie on, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays kind of thing. 4K is a lot easier to work with once you get into the mandatory kindergarten above. Obviously splitting school districts just doesn't work. Okay. This might be a silly question, but say perhaps mom has primary custody. Does she automatically get to choose which district children will be in? She doesn't. No. Um, There's a difference between custody and placement. So you kind of said primary custody. Sure. There's two things. There's either joint legal custody or sole legal custody. In the state of Wisconsin, the default is joint. And that means that both parents have equal rights for these big decisions, such as school enrollment, uh, religion, non-emergency health care, things like that. Now, placement would be where the child resides. So when you say primary, that would mean the mother in your example has more than 50% of the time. So usually it will make the most sense to allow the parent that has the majority of the time that school district because they're going to be the ones taking the child to school, picking up, etc. So um, again, although there is a presumption because you have joint legal custody, you have equal input, I will say one of the factors in an ultimate decision will be where are these kids? Is it a 50-50? Is it a 75-25? You know, where is the primary parent located? Wow. So many layers to, to, these, to these cases and situations. Does that add to maybe the, uh, the challenge for you? Do you like that challenge in figuring out what's, what's right? It does. It makes every day, and it sounds cliche, but every day is different. Frankly, every hour is different. Uh, I could have four appointments for a divorce case. I'm representing, let's say, the the husband, and they each have two children. I mean, it sounds pretty similar. Every case is going to be 
vastly different and and every day different things happen you know the law itself does not change very often um, it's kind of just there I mean once in a while something interesting will happen but all the cases are so different and in every county there are multiple different uh, courts you're going to go to either the family court commissioner or a judge and so you have to really know who you're with, who the other players are, so to speak, the judges, the commissioners, the other attorney, um, if there's a guardian ad litem, if there's counselors, it's, yes, it's very dynamic. Hmm. And you mentioned guardian, guardianship, or or maybe grandparents are, are, are helping in this. Do those factors also create maybe a little bit of a more complicated situation? I think a lot of times the, the courts, when we talk about a guardian ad litem, would be an attorney that is independent of the two advocating parties, attorneys. Uh, that particular attorney is charged with looking just for the best interests of the children, isn't it? Advocate for anything but that. And I think a guardian litem and then a court based upon recommendations of a guardian litem will take all of those factors into account. You may have a situation where mom or dad utilizes grandparents a lot for care or um, just based on work schedules or that's kind of how they community, uh, I guess, their approach to family, things like that. I think that that does take a factor in um, because it is kind of, I, I would think, Kelly, you've probably heard the same thing. I mean, this entire It Takes a Village is very much a mentality that a lot of families have, especially if you have separated families and you are relying upon extended family members for some help. So I think that those, those layers do definitely come into play with those factors um, as far as any decision overall. Ultimately, though, the main goal is to make attending school as, as, as seamless and as easy for the children as possible, correct? Absolutely. And this is something that we are reminded of and remind our clients and remind ourselves that uh, the children, the impact that a family law case is going to have on the children is really what ultimately the parents make of it. Um, the fact that parents are not in an intact relationship or marriage in and of itself has not based upon research, determined to be causing any harm in and of itself. It's how the parents deal with that. So if we have parents that both live in the same school district and we're arguing about which elementary school, um, and really it's it's not a, an argument that has a lot of factual basis. It's not like one is obviously better than the other or there makes a total sense. People are just sort of arguing for whatever reason, that doesn't bode well for your child. I mean, ultimately, you could win that battle, so to speak, and lose the war. And the war would be you're getting your child through this as unscathed as possible. Sometimes as a parent, you have to concede and make sacrifices on things that you don't like in order to benefit the best interest of your child. And parents really need to keep that in mind. Um, it's, it's not lip service. It's actual based on a lot, a lot of data. And the start of the school year, I mean, that's that's a big big enough impact in itself. But to throw you know unnecessary drama at your child as well, that's that's a lot of overwhelming you know drama, right? <laughs> and they'll remember that. I mean, I can remember a case a few years ago where um, there was a child that, I, and I think it might have been four K or, or kindergarten, um, where one parent had enrolled the child in District A. On you know the first day of school and on the second day of school, the other parent took the child to school B, and so the child had two desks, two you know two sets of school supplies, two teachers. This poor child was absolutely 
you know, confused, and ultimately they worked it out, and it, it turned out fine. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that was a very crazy week for that child in both parents' households. School supplies, you're going to this school. Kid had gone to two open houses. It was it was a very trying time, and I I suspect that the parents look back on that and think, meh, maybe we didn't make the best decisions at that time. But um, that's what happens sometimes. And that's what uh, you folks at Hurling Clark are there to help parents kind of navigate through uh, in this world and returning back to school if you're a family of divorce. A lot of help in the family law area. We're talking again with Kelly Kelly and Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark this afternoon. We had to take a break for, for our local news update and weather updates. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit further about another important role that we've mentioned, grandparents and grandparents' rights when it comes to kiddos. So stay with us. That's coming up in our next half hour after a look at your local news and weather right here on WHBY. Welcome back to Focus Fox Valley and WHBY. It is our Law Talk with Hurling Clark hour of the month here, joined by attorneys Kelly Kelly and Paula Hammer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. The topic this afternoon is family law. If you have a question, you can give us a call on the Settlers Bank phone lines. 281-1150 is the number, or I'll use our TDS Metrogram toll-free line at 1-866-887-1150. Once again, uh, ladies, welcome back. Thank you. So how often are you dealing with grandparents' rights? We talked briefly about the start of a school year uh, earlier this afternoon, uh, and and we covered that. So if you want to hear that conversation, go to WHBY.com. But kind of switching gears a little bit, or maybe staying on the same path in regards to to grandparents' rights, how often do you come into that in your practice? I would say generally I've had probably about five or six of those cases going on at a time um, over the past few years. Generally, that can happen in two situations. Either the parents are, um, it's a paternity action. Um, One of the parents isn't available. So that maternal grandmother or paternal grandfather, you know, one of those grandparents are looking to spend time with a child when their child is not available to have placement time. Or there are situations where um, there just is an objection by the parents that the grandparents have any type of contact or continuing relationship with the children. Hmm. Um, Previously, it was, I would consider it a lot easier for grandparents to establish that type of visitation in Wisconsin. Um, We have the Troxel U.S. Supreme Court decision we have in the interest of Roger D.H., which was pretty much the big Wisconsin decision up until recently. It kind of set the tone for um, a little bit of, a, I'd say, two-pronged test, looking to see if par- if grandparents can meet certain requirements. You know, do they have a longstanding relationship? You know, what's the situation? Why they're not being able to see the children? What about the parents, if anything, is unreasonable about, about their refusal? And then ultimately, what was in the best interest of the children? In May of this past year, a decision from the Wisconsin Supreme Court came down, which somewhat gutted um, the Wisconsin visitation um, grandparent statute. 
um, unfortunate for grandparents. It was not a great case to go up to the Supreme Court. The facts were not something that I think really should have been accepted to make such a sweeping definition or clarification of the grandparent visitation. Um, what happened in that as a result of that decision, though, it really came down for a clarification of the Supreme Court of Wisconsin to say that until you can prove that a parent has made an unfit decision with regard to their objection um, of a grandparent attempting to have a continued relationship, that the court will, will not even entertain going to the next prong or second step of is that relationship continuing with the grandparent in the child or children's best interest. So it was really before a bunch of factors where, you know, is this a really good decision? We had kind of almost, I would say, overlooked the unfitness portion of the statute and really focused on what would be the best for these kids. And in a lot of my cases, these judges would look at this. A lot of judges are grandparents and say, you know, is this reasonable? Is this not reasonable? What would be best for these kids and make their decision based upon that um, without necessarily making a finding of the parents being unfit? Because of this new Supreme Court of Wisconsin decision, the courts are really directed at this point. You have to find that the parents that are objecting with regard to this grandparent visitation are acting in an unfit manner by clear and convincing evidence at this point. So unfortunately, you don't even get to the situation. Would that continuing contact, would some time with grandma and grandpa, you know, be beneficial to these kids at the end of the day? The court's hands have now somewhat been tied, significantly actually been tied now that you have to prove, and it's a pretty high standard, that a parent is acting in a way that is unfit before you can even get to what would be good for the kids in their best interest long term. Wow. So grandparents really can't say, I'm not getting enough time with little Johnny and Susie, so I'm going to go to court for it. Right. Um, you used to be able to do that if you could you know, basically meet some of these factors saying, hey, there's been this longstanding relationship. You know, this is how you know we've acted. You know, some of these grandparents have even cared for these grandkids in their home if the parents had been unable for a period of time. The court really can't look at that. They have to look at the parents right now to say, are they unfit? Are they making unfit decisions, which would then trigger, let's look into the best interest. A lot of times, you know, this isn't a situation, it never has been. If you have an intact family um, that if mom and dad are saying no, you know, grandma or grandpa, it's not what we think is best for the kids to have this relationship. At that point, it was never something that a court was really going to touch very much anyway. Um, but it's really was those split decisions if you had, you know, in the inability to contact the children of split families because the party that has the majority of the time with the children, et cetera, was not allowing it. Interesting. We, you talked about earlier about how things don't change too often in regards to the law, but this is one of those circumstances where you're kind of thrown a curve and need to maybe rethink things. It is. It definitely is because a lot of times, I mean, recently, you know, you have these calls where grandparents are calling in saying, hey, I'd like to have time with, you know, the kids, et cetera. This is what we've always done. And now I don't know why mom or dad isn't allowing it. And it's a sad situation when we have to say, listen, you know, if it would have been about three months ago, we could have maybe done something about it. But right now, the state of the law based upon this particular case makes it a very, very difficult uh, road to basically go along and be successful at.
Mm. Well, and I'm wondering too, it, there's also uh, a subsect of step parents. And so if, if I'm married and I get a divorce and then I remarry, and um, in my case, if my new husband uh, then is, and we're married for a while and he's developed a, a relationship with, with my children from my first marriage, and then my current, my, my second husband and I uh, split up, um, you know, what under the old statute, and I don't know if this is affected, Paula, you can tell us, but he could have made a claim to say, hey, I was married to this lady for however long and I helped parent her children for X amount of years. Here's what we did. Um, I would like an opportunity to see those children and have some sort of court order. Depends on the circumstances, whether or not that's successful. But Paula, do you know if this new case affects third parties or is it just really grandparents? This this particular case was directed just towards the grandparent portion of the visitation statute. But I would think based upon the decision really upholding the fitness, the unfitness situation that um, it's going to spill down. It's wow. definitely going to spill down to other third parties that would have an interest, such as Kelly indicated, step parents um, with regard to those particular visitations. I just don't see that as being as easy a road to go down as it was previously. And there was a case, uh, and of course I can't think of it as we're sitting here, that did go to the Supreme Court um, on uh, visitation rights of third persons because I had a case several years ago where there was a, a step-parent visitation um, and it was recommended by various entities throughout the case that this person have step-parent visitation and, and frankly quite a lot of time, but based upon a Supreme Court case from a long time ago, the fitness standard came in and that was kiboshed. And so um, I'm wondering if that's going to be the trend, if however things panned out in this most recent case from May, if someone's going to appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court and if they're going to hear it, um, and if that might be something that changes. Because in Wisconsin, I don't think there's really been a whole lot of established case law on the grandparents' rights as far as going up to the Supreme Court. Correct. Wow. Talking about family law this afternoon with Hurling Clark Law Firm. We had to take a break, but if you do have a question, want to give us a call. 281-1150 is the number on the Settlers Bank phone lines. Back with more after this on WHBY. This is Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm on WHBY, real local radio talking family law this afternoon. Still time to get your calls in, 281-1150 on the Settlers Bank phone lines. We've discussed family law in regards to the start of a new school year, talked a bit about grandparents' rights, and now we're going to focus on no-fault divorce, talking with attorney Kelly Kelly and attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. So no-fault, what does that mean I don't know what it means, so explain, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we were off off uh, time or off air, I guess, sure. uh, before we were talking about Hollywood and, and things you you see in movies and TV shows. Um, I'm assuming at some point in the history, in order for somebody to request a divorce, you had to prove why you wanted a divorce, whether it was something physical or you know some other misuse of the marital uh, relationship. Uh, over the years, many states have evolved to be what they call no fault. So Wisconsin is a no fault divorce state. That means if you want a divorce, you will get a divorce. You do not need to prove that you have been, uh, you know, physically 
uh, or emotionally harmed or that your spouse has broken their marital vows, um, you ask for a divorce, you will get a divorce. Um, it doesn't mean that the other person has to agree, and you know sometimes that happens, um, but essentially it means that conduct does not come into play as far as what assets you're going to receive, how things are, are shaped up in the case. Fault does come into play if the, the behavior can affect your children negatively. So if you've got minor children and you're getting a divorce because your spouse is making some very poor decisions, let's say with substance abuse, um, your spouse isn't going to get more or less property or different treatment in court, but that could affect the amount of time your spouse has with your children because if it affects the safety of the children, the well-being of the children, if it's just not in their best interest, then it could come into play. So, um, you know, very frequently we will get calls from folks um, that their call is precipitated by some behavior in their spouse that they really didn't like, whether it's a new relationship or they found out about something financial or a chemical or substance abuse. And we have to talk through with them that Obviously, that's a very major thing going on in their life, and that's maybe what's prompted them to go down this road. But from a legal perspective, it's not really something that the court is going to get into. Hmm. Does that make the process to getting a divorce go a little bit quicker? I'm sure it probably has eliminated that that proof step where you don't have to prove this or that that you're alleging. Um, it's you know from a from the timing and the legal process. I don't know that that has been helpful or, or harmful to the parties because a lot of times people are going through something and they want to be heard, they want to be understood, they want to get through it and talking things out sometimes helps. And so very often when there's something going on um, that might otherwise be a fault or a reason, we will routinely ask clients, you know, are you, are you talking to someone? Do you have a therapist? Do you have someone in your church? Is there someone that you can talk through with these things? Because while we are uh, you know, we're lawyers and we talk to clients about very serious things. We aren't trained counselors. And sometimes really that's something that somebody needs. And once in a while we'll have clients that will say, yeah, I'm now back into counseling. I'm into counseling. And it's been so helpful for them because that's a whole component of their life that I can't help that they need to address. Well, and sometimes I would imagine it's such an emo emotional process to go through a divorce, whether you have children or not, and sometimes maybe getting those emotions mixed in those decision-making things can be tricky? Oh, definitely. Um, I think a lot of times that um, the attorneys is part of our job. We're not the counselors, but I think it's our job to tell them, you know, as Kelly indicated, you probably need to talk to somebody about this X, Y, Z. But it's also our job to say, listen, I understand that there's some of these issues going on, but, you know, your primary objective right now is end game here and to make sure that your kids are protected through this process. So if this is something that is affecting you, that's one thing. If it's something that's affecting the kids, we need to make sure that we are getting these kids to the right resources and also so that those particular resources, if need be, can make recommendations for things such as custody or physical placement decisions down the road. Um, because I think at the end of the day, a lot of our cases where people are alleging these things, if they're substance abuse or other types of abuse that Kelly was talking about, um, really are present there, um, it will make a big determination of what the custody and physical 
um, placement schedule is going to be for these kids, which is something that you're not going to change several months after your judgment of divorce. It's something that you're going to have to live with. So you want to make sure that it's done correctly and everybody's utilizing the resources you can. Interesting. We're talking with attorney Kelly Kelly and attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. They're from the Family Law Division. So what do you think makes up the majority of what you're dealing with on a, on a daily basis? As far as the type of law, I would say out of 100 cases, um, and Paula, tell me if this is not the same for you, but I would say of 100 cases, I probably have 60-ish divorce cases and then probably I would say maybe 15 that are post-divorce. So at some, they were divorced and now we're reviewing something. Um, another 15, 20% paternity or post-paternity. And then, uh, you know, a few cases that are sort of odds and ends of just different things that have come, come through. Yeah. I would agree. You would agree. Mm-hmm. I know that one of the odds and ends that sometimes comes into play is the adoption cases you do get to work with. And I kind of want to end the show talking about that because I know that's such a bright light sometimes yes. Yes. in what you do every day. Correct? Yes. It, it does not happen often. Um, at least at our office, typically an adoption will be in the context of uh, a person has has married or remarried and their new spouse is wanting to adopt their children. So it's step-parent adoption. Uh, And so sometimes that involves, most of the time it involves, unfortunately, terminating the rights of the biological parent. And then through that process, the the new spouse would would adopt the children. And uh, depending on the circumstances and the history of the case, it's not always, you know, bright and shiny. Uh, But uh, Paul and I are not known for our uh, wearing our emotions on our sleeve or being overly sensitive. Those kinds of cases are about the only kind of cases that we would get teared up because when you're in court and the court is approving an adoption and you have a child there that is so happy that they now have you know a different last name like the re- last name of their family or they now can say they have you know these parents. It's absolutely moving. It's great. Hmm. It is. I think that's the one. That's the one thing that we get to do that is uh, ends with a happiness <laughs> kind of feeling for you. And usually, it, it is a really happy. As Kelly indicated, you know, we're terminating a biological parent's rights while we're doing it. But it's usually a biological parent that is not and hasn't been involved in the kids' lives. So it really is getting this child into in name and for all other purposes, legal everything else into that intact family that they have. Well, ladies, you've covered a lot of bases today in regards to the start of a new school year and how family law applies to that. Talked about grandparents' rights, no-fault divorce state, Wisconsin, you are that. Uh, so if folks are maybe looking to, to get in touch with Herlin Clark, they've got a further question, maybe they have a potential case to bring your way, best way for them to, to get in touch with you or any of your colleagues at Herlin Clark? Sure. The easiest way would either be sending an email through our website, herlinclark.com, or calling our Appleton main office, 739-7366. And from there, they would be directed to one of our offices um, and go through the process. Sure. Wonderful. Well, Kelly Kelly and Paula Hamer, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Some great insight into the world of family law. We appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. All right. We are going to take a break. We'll be back with more of Focus Fox Valley after this on WHBY.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.